0: This episode of the Art of Manly's podcast is brought to you in part by RevTown. RevTown is the home of premium jeans at a revolutionary price. The secret is Decade Denim, made with super soft, super strong yarn from Milan, Italy. These jeans perform like a track pant, feel soft as sweats on the inside, and have the look and feel of proper jeans on the outside. Got a pair of RevTown. They feel really nice. They're so stretchy. You can squat in them, but... They still look like a good pair of dark denim jeans. Get ridiculous quality and unbelievable fit for half the price at revtownusa.com slash manliness. That's revtown, R-E-V-T-O-W-N, USA.com slash manliness. Also by The Strenuous Life. The Strenuous Life is an online platform that we created to help you turn your intentions into actions. And we've got enrollment coming up here in January. Go to strenuouslife.co. Make sure email's on our list. And while you're there at strenuouslife.co, you can learn all about the program, what's involved, what you do. So check it out as well as the testimonials of members who've gone through. Our next enrollments in January. Hope to see you there. strenuouslife.co. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. In the summer of 1954, two groups of 8 to 11-year-old boys were taken to a summer camp in Oklahoma and pitted against each other in competitions for prizes. What started out as typical games of baseball and tug-of-war turned into violent night raids and fistfights, proving that humans and groups form tribal identities that create conflict. This is the basic outline of a research study many are still familiar with today, the robber's cave experiment. It's only part of the story. My guest dug in the archival notes of this famous and controversial social experiment to find un. Known and unreported details behind what really happened and why. Her name is Gina Perry, and her book is The Lost Boys Inside Musafer Sharif's Robber's Cave Experiment. We begin our conversation by discussing what the Robber's Cave Experiment purported to show and the influence the experiment has had on social psychology since. We then discussed the similarities between head researcher Musafer Sharif's ideas about the behavior of boys in groups and those of William Golding, author of Lord of the Flies, and how both men's ideas were influenced by their personal experiences in war. We also dig into the general connection between children's summer camps and psychological. Studies in the 19th century. Then turning to the Robber's Cave experiment itself, Gina shares how the experiment wasn't Sharif's first attempt at this kind of field study and how it had been preceded by another experiment in which the boys turned on the researchers. She described how Sharif and his assistants attempted to get different results at Robber's Cave by goading the boys into greater conflict and how they got the boys to reconcile after whipping them up into a competitive frenzy. At the end of our conversation, Gina talks about finding the boys who were in the experiment and what these now-grown men thought of the experience. Then we discuss whether or not there's anything to be learned from Robber's Cave on the nature of group conflict. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash robberscave. All right, Gina Perry, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: So you wrote a history of the robbers cave experiment, what an influential landmark social psychology experiment. It's called the Lost Boys. Inside Muzafir Sharif's Robber's Cave Experiment. Um, For those who aren't familiar with the Robber's Cave Experiment, can you give us sort of a thumbnail sketch of what it was and what it purported to show?
1: Sure. The the exploration of the experiment is about a three-week experiment at Robber's Cave State Park in Oklahoma, obviously. And it what sharif was trying to show was that if you bring two groups together and put them together and in a competitive situation that there will inevitably be conflict between them there'll be belittling of one group by the other there'll be negative stereotyping and this will lead inevitably in his view to some kind of violent altercation and it, it particularly what he was trying to show was that you can make this competition happen by putting groups in a situation where they're competing for limited resources. And so what he did was he set these two groups up the conflict unfolded during the time of the study. And then at the end of the camp, he brought the groups together and kind of forced them to cooperate. And by forcing them to cooperate, he brought about harmony. So what he was trying to show really was that if you can get people thinking about problems that are bigger than themselves, where they're forced to work with people they would normally regard negatively or even as their enemies, you can establish peace and harmony. So, it was really an experiment that was of its time. It was very much taking place in the context of the Cold War. And so, that that's the kind of thing that you would read about in textbooks.
0: And what's the influence that the experiment had on social psychology? Is it something that still gets cited today?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, it, it's a strange thing, but it depends where you studied psychology and what particular texts and experiments your teachers favoured. And this wasn't something that occurred to me until I was well into writing this book that often you're taught curriculum at a university, for example, a psychology curriculum that's been developed and has the influence of your teachers on it. And so, I studied um, psychology here in Melbourne, Australia, and Robert's Cave was never included in, in my studies. My daughter, however, it was in all her social psychology textbooks. So it's, it's not like something like uh, Milgram's Obedience Experiment, which is in every textbook. It's very much about whether or not the textbooks you use include that particular study. But it is famous within the
0: field. So the Robbers Cave experiment you talk about in the book has its has some predecessors. There was other experiments, not not even experiments but experiences where people saw that boys in groups acted in a certain way, particularly when there was conflict there. And you talk about William Golding, who was the author of *Lord of the Flies*, and he actually had an experience with a group of boys that inspired the the book. Tell us about that. And and why did writers like Golding and social psychologists like Sharif think that boys, you know, young children could tell us about human nature on a broad general level?
1: Well, Golding was a school teacher in England, and he was a writer at that time. So at the same time that he was teaching, he was also writing fiction. And so he took two groups of, well, he took a large group of his students to this remote part of England, not far from the school where he taught on Salisbury Plain. There's this place called Figsbury Ring, which is like a flat topped hill in the middle of Salisbury Plain. And he took the boys up there and he divided them into two groups and he told them to, one group to defend the remains of an old fort up there and the other group to attack. And he, I think the purpose of this was for him to observe and see what happened so that he could write about this in his own fiction. But he said that once he gave the instruction, he couldn't believe the amount of violence that erupted between the boys and how seriously they took this kind of make believe exercise. And For Golding, I think that really illustrated his view that human nature is ultimately flawed. And in, in Lord of the Flies, you know, he uses a quote, not in Lord of the Flies, but it was, it was a a quote from his fiction that I think really summarized his worldview, which is that man produces evil like a bee produces honey. So, on that mound, when the two groups of boys were fighting, I think Golding really saw a demonstration of that belief. So, Golding and Sharif were investigating these ideas around the same time. Golding, obviously, was through through writing novels and through art, Sharif through science, if you like. And they were interested in in the idea of children as representative of human nature because I think they thought that children uncorrupted in the sense of, you know, they're, they're not as socialised as the rest of us, they haven't learnt the rules and the norms, and they somehow reflect human nature in its rawest form. So for them, there was a sort of, they were able to, and willing to draw a comparison between the behaviour of young boys and people at large. Uh, both of them, uh, both of them, were inspired—if that's the right word—but both of them were very deeply influenced by their experiences, their personal experiences of war. And Golding had actually fought during World War II and been horrified by the experience. And Sharif had experienced war, I I discovered in looking into his background, that he really had experienced war almost from the moment he was born until the time that he left his homeland, which was Turkey, as a young man. So, both of them had experienced and seen firsthand incredible cruelty and violence. And I think that was a major preoccupation for both of them. How does this come about?
0: Well, and I think a difference between them that you would, you pointed out earlier. Well, Golding said that humans by nature are evil. Sharif would say no, humans are actually good. It's just if you put them in a certain situation, that will cause them to do terrible things.
1: Yes, and what was interesting to me was that even though this was downplayed in his own publications. Sharif was very definitely a Marxist or, you know, he really believed in the power of cooperation over competition and so he really believed that if you set the right conditions for a society, people will flourish and people will live in harmony. So he very much saw it as about the social conditions under which we live.
0: Before we get more, more background to the robber's cave experiment, I didn't know this about summer camps in general, but summer camp from like the almost the beginning when the idea of summer camp came into being in America, like psychologists were there trying to figure out how can we design summer camp to, to help young people become you know, well-adjusted.
1: That's right. I found that whole history fascinating and, you know, the summer camp movement really began in the late 19th century and it was in response to a particular school teacher, again, an educator, a man who felt that young men were spending too much indolent time over the summer holidays under the influence of their mothers, there was, a, there was kind of an implication, I guess, that young men were at risk of becoming effeminate and useless because they were idle over the summer, just doing nothing, nothing constructive in, in this school teacher's eyes. So he set up the first summer camp and the notion was that he would get young boys out into nature doing activities, learning chores. It was very much, I think, mirroring the idea that this is how the people lived in the days of the frontier and it was a character-building exercise. And that theme of building spiritual strength and moral character has really always influenced, I think. It's a theme that runs through Uh, summer camps from the very beginning, right up to programs like Brat Camp now, where you have young people taken away to the wilds and kind of tested to find their real moral strength. It seems to be something that still persists. It's a sort of a romantic ideal of what happens when you put people, take them away from the urban environment and give them things to do that are hearty and good for them. So, psychologists got involved around the 1930s and 40s because summer camps became really like a natural laboratory. You could study what activities were most effective in helping, for example, boys who were shy or not able to join in, how you could get children to develop the social skills they needed that they could t- then take back from summer camp to live a better life. So, in the wake of World War II, the agenda for summer camp became, how do we use summer camp to build the values of democracy? How do we use summer camp to build skills about team teamwork and leadership and those kinds of things that make for a successful democratic nation. And so that was the way in which Sharif first got involved was that someone that he knew invited him along to watch how psychologists were studying boys at a summer camp. but Sharif decided that, He didn't want to be an observer at someone else's camp. What he'd do would be run one completely of his own. And that way, he would have complete control of that environment.
0: So, that's what he starts doing. So That's some good background, some backdrop of what leading up to the Robber's Cave Experiment. The Robber's Cave Experiment, the one that got reported on, happened in 1954. But in the book this is like the history that you, you, you kind of dig into the archives and the field notes and find that Sharif actually tried this experiment before earlier in like the late forties. And it didn't go as he planned. And like, no one ever really, no one really knows about it. He didn't write about it. So let's talk about that first experiment. Where was it at? How did it happen? And what was the result of it?
1: Well, he actually conducted three experiments and the robber's cave was the last one. But the robber's cave in a way was never planned. It was a last minute a last-minute decision. So, he conducted a first experiment in 1949 in upstate New York and it was a very basic experiment. He was really just working out ideas and this first experiment was like a rough draft. It was just two groups of boys and he brought them together in competition to see what would happen. And the what happened was that the two groups did develop very negative attitudes towards one another. And so, that experiment ended really at that point. So, he was kind of working things through. The next experiment was the supposed to be the final one. This was the big one. And yet, as you say, there was no published reference to it hardly at all in Sharif's writing, but lots of material about it in the archives. So, This was conducted in 1953, again in upstate New York. And he, in this experiment, he recruited a group of boys, 24 boys, and he took them to a summer camp just outside Saratoga Springs. And he divided the two groups after the second day. And on the first day, he watched the boys and he and a group, a team of his researchers watched the groups of boys and to see who was making friends and to see who was buddying up because these children didn't know one another before they were taken to the camp. So when he divided the boys up into two groups, he made sure that he separated the friends. And this was important at this camp, not as important as he realised, but this was a critical point. So he divided the, the one group into two competing groups. He kept them very separate. They were at different sides of the campsite in separate tents and the men kept them apart. Then he brought them together in a series of competitions like tug-of-war, baseball, and then they had things like cabin inspections, um, all sorts of games and competitions. And he kept a scorecard in the mess hall so that the two groups could see which of the two teams was winning. Then when he announced there was a wonderful prize for this winning team and it was a series of very elaborate knives, one for each boy in the winning team, and a trophy. When he announced the winners of the team that was when he expected the conflict to really come to a head because the losing team would be so outraged that they'd lost, that there would be violence and his theory would play out in the wild. But what actually happened in that 1953 study and, you know, I said it was a critical point that he separated groups of friends was that the two groups did um, develop animosity towards one another during games, but for example, whenever they finished a game of baseball, they would f- give three cheers for the losing team or they would make sure that after a game, they all went around and shook hands after the game was over. And he found this kind of sportsmanship very, he found it disturbing because it was undermining his theory. But also that he found it very difficult to get the groups to come to any kind of direct conflict. And so, he and his team started doing things to the possessions of one group, hoping that that group would blame the other. It was a sort of a scapegoating exercise. So, for example, he would go into a tent and mess up all their things and then hope that the other that group would come back to their tent and be enraged and blame the others and a fight would erupt anyway over a series of days this the, the the eruption never happened it would always fizzle out and it was partly because those boys had made strong friends just in the first day and they were feeling resentful that they'd been separated it also meant that they wondered why they'd been separated. So they were off, they were very observant of the men. They were always looking to the men to understand what was happening. So they were really looking for clues. Finally, the two groups were on the night that the winners of the tournament were announced. One of Sharif's team actually demolished one of the group's tents pulled out all their belongings, smashed things, trampled dirt through the tent. And this was meant to be the big moment. And the other thing you have to remember is that Sharif only had a a limited amount of time at this camp. He'd booked it for a certain amount of time. He had a certain amount of money. So it was like the clock was ticking and they really had to get things happening. They had to fan the flames of this fight. Anyway, the boys came rushing to the site of this demolished tent, but instead of blaming one another, they started talking, and one group swore that they had nothing to do with the tent being demolished, and the other group believed them, so they turned on the men. And it was a kind of a mutiny, and they refused to fight, and they... They were steadfast in their cooperation with one another. Of course, Sharif was absolutely frustrated and enraged and cancelled the experiment.
0: Well, it sounds like his, like his theory was kind of proven right, right? There was a conflict. It was just the boys versus the counsellors who were actually the researchers.
1: That's right. Um, This is what's so ironic for me in all of these three studies that Sharif conducted was that He seemed unable to recognize that his own group of researchers, even though they pretended to be camp staff, they were adults. And he, it was as if he was blind to their own influence as a powerful group in that camp. And yes, his own, his own theory was proven. In fact, what was ironic in that 1953 study was that the conflict erupted between the men running the camp, and they ended up, you know, having a head-on conf- confrontation on the night of the drama. So, when although the boys didn't fight, the men certainly did.
0: Well, something we need to talk about is the setup of the experiment. Like, how did Sharif convince parents to send their boys to a camp where he would be trying to instigate conflict between? boys? like what, 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 did he, what did he tell them to sell them on this?
1: Well, when I looked at the versions of the letters that he wrote between the first study in 1949 and then the final one in 1954, I noticed that he got better at being vague <laughs> and better at saying the sorts of things that would appeal to parents at that place and that time. And it's worth pointing out that he, in all three cases, he picked boys whose families would not normally be able to afford to send their children to camp. So he targeted parents on a lower income and made the camp free. And in particular, by the time the robber's cave study came around, the letter that he wrote to the parents talked about Really, and remember, it was on note paper that was headed Yale University, and in in the instance of 1953, and then um, in 1954, it was the University of Oklahoma, and so there was obviously an authority there about the association with the university that he was working for that worked in his favour, but he also played up the idea that this camp was about learning skills for leadership, which in a way, I guess, is not incorrect, but he certainly didn't mention that it was an experiment. He talked about it being a study, but he didn't talk about conflict or victimisation or the separation of boys into basically tribes. What's also interesting was that by the time he was recruiting in Oklahoma, his graduate student, O.J. Harvey, did the recruitment in Oklahoma City. And O.J. said that Sharif played a much more minor role at that point because he had a very heavy Turkish accent and O.J. Harvey felt that would arouse people's suspicions, mainly because there was, I guess, a lot of suspicion of foreigners and at that time and that it would be better if someone from Oklahoma did the contact with the parents. So OJ Harvey, unusually, they didn't do this in the other studies, but OJ Harvey actually went to the boys' homes in Oklahoma City and met the parents. So I think that personal approach made a big difference too. So basically the parents did not know it was an experiment they were not aware that there would be an encouragement of conflict or violence and they were pleased that their boys had been selected and had this, what they saw as a terrific opportunity. What parent would turn that down?
0: We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Support for today's show comes from Collection by Michael Strahan, available exclusively at JCPenney. When you look good, you feel good. Raise your game with Collection by Michael Strahan for all the bold looks take your style to the next level. Style starts with confidence in Collection by Michael Strahan and designed to inspire just that. The essence of Collection by Michael Strahan are looks that will inspire you from tailored suiting, dress shirts, and denim, Collection by Michael Strahan includes suit separates, sport coats, dress shirts, neckwear, belts, accessories, basics, denim, luggage, and shoes, big and tall, and boy sizes too. Collection by Michael Strahan includes high-tech fabrics with stretch features, flex fabric, wrinkle-resistant, and much more. Collection by Michael Strahan is available exclusively at JCPenney. Visit a store near you or go to jcp.com and you can explore Michael's lifestyle content and michaelstrahan.com. So check it out. Collection by Michael Strahan. Go to a store near you, jcp.com. Check out Michael's lifestyle website, michaelstrahan.com. Also by Peloton Tread. This winter, trade cold commutes to the gym for live total body training in your home with the Peloton Tread. With classes and training programs like running, strength, cardio, walking, and more, you can always find new ways to challenge yourself. This is not another treadmill. The tread, first off, looks impressive. It looks like something out of George Jetson's house, it looks great. It's comfortable to run on, unlike treadmills at your gym, where it kind of shakes and sort of skids when you're running. Does not happen with the tread. It's also got easy dials to adjust the incline and speed, unlike the buttons where you cause you to lose your gait. And it's got the giant screen. So you're doing your class you're getting, you can see the guy there and it's fun. I did an interval run on mine and they've got these metrics on the screen showing your speed, incline, mileage, and there's a leaderboard and the leaderboard, man. I didn't think I was going to be really goaded by that, but that thing pumped me up. There was another guy in my class that I did for the first couple of minutes of the session. We were kind of neck and neck and I was like, this guy, this guy's not going to beat me. So I picked it up and blew him away. So it was a lot of fun. If you'd like to Check out the tread. Discover the immersive and challenging total body training you can get from the Peloton tread. Peloton is offering listeners a limited time offer. Go to onepeloton.com and use code manliness to get $100 off accessories with the purchase of a tread. So that's one O N E Peloton, P E L O T O N.com. Use code manliness to get $100 off accessories with the purchase of a tread. And now back to the show. So there was deception. Like, this wouldn't happen today. Like you wouldn't, like, psych ethics would not allow you to do that what he did, correct?
1: No, there are ethics review boards now in place that mean that people, when they're planning experiments, have to get approval from their university. So, no, ethics review boards would not condone it today. But I'm always a bit wary of that argument because I always think, well, what about the men themselves? Surely we don't need external review boards to tell us what feels right and what feels wrong and i think i think they were well aware of the ethical issues with their studies but they chose to ignore them in favor of doing this research
0: well you mentioned that in the second experiment they had sort of a guy on staff a researcher who was there sort of to be, be the experimental psych- or the conscience right be like hey this is sort of stepping the lines but in the third experiment the final experiment the robber's cave experiment That guy was not there. So let's talk about that final experiment. So this was, Sharif was just desperate. He had a, uh, his funding was from the Rockefeller Foundation. They were sort of hammering him like, hey, what happened to all that money we gave you on these experiments about group conflict? And so he put together the robber's cave experiment like on a lark. It was just completely improvised. What did he do different with this experiment compared to the previous experiment that he, that failed, that he considered a failure and he didn't talk about ever again?
1: Well, I think what's so interesting is that after that second experiment failed, he met with his two favourite graduate students, O.J. Harvey and Jack White, both of whom were Native American students, and they met around the campfire after the experiment had been cancelled, and they agreed that they would give it one last go but only on the condition that Sharif was not in charge because he was too temperamental, he had way too much invested and he was emotionally quite volatile. So what was interesting was that Robber's Cave was actually managed and run by O.J. Harvey, who is from Oklahoma himself. O.J. was a very good organiser The Robber's Cave experiment, they ran on the smell of an oily rag. They had so little money left, they had to really cut corners. In the 1953 study, I think they had around 12 staff. At Robber's Cave, they had four. They actually, they did improvise in the sense that it was an unplanned experiment, but in other ways, OJ and the rest of them really did as much as they could to make Robber's Cave a success in their eyes as they could. So, for example, instead of allowing the boys to mix together at the beginning of the experiment and then separating them, they brought the boys to the campsite at Robber's Cave on two separate days in two separate buses and kept them absolutely far apart so that neither group was aware that the other group was there and each group felt like they owned the park. There was no one else there at the time. So they were climbing the rocks, they were exploring, they were swimming in the creek, they were doing all sorts of things in a small group of 12 believing that they kind of owned the place. So they developed a much stronger group identity before they were brought into contact with the second group. The other thing the men really made sure of this time round at Robber's Cave was that they headed off any attempts by the groups to hold out a hand or cooperate with the other group. This was a problem, as I said, in the middle study and so For example, I found in the notes that one of the groups at Robbers Cave uh, very early on in the camp, it was one boy's birthday and the caretaker and his wife, Ida Bloxham, was the woman who did the cooking with her sister at the Robbers Cave State Park and they'd made a birthday cake for this boy and the boy asked the men, By this stage, they knew there was a second group in the park and the boy whose birthday it was asked the men if they could invite the other group in for the birthday celebration. And the men blocked that attempt saying, no, the other group were busy. But the other group could hear this party happening. So – you can imagine there's a group of boys who are sitting out in the dark, hearing the sounds of this lovely birthday party going on in the mess hall, and they haven't been invited. There was a natural sense of resentment because, you know, in a normal circumstances, you would expect one group to include the other. So the men were much better at robber's cave at ensuring that the sorts of behaviours that had they felt derailed. The middle experiment didn't occur at Robber's Cave.
0: So in this experiment, they kept the two groups of boys separate at first before bringing them together for the competitions. And this time, the groups developed a more distinct group identity. Each team made their own shirts, they had their own flag. And it seems like the antagonism and the competition between them was more intense too. Uh, tell us what happened with that.
1: You've been to Robber's Cave and your listeners who've been to Robber's Cave in summer know that it's an extremely hot place. Yes. So this competition unfolded in very hot weather and it was a very intense few days because there were so many activities where they were competing with the boys. They kept the two groups neck and neck. And then on the night that the winners of the tournament were announced, one group who were the losers decided that they would conduct a night raid and they, it was after midnight, the The two groups were called the Rattlers and the Eagles and the Rattlers group decided that they were going to conduct a night raid on the Eagles. Now, this is something that comes up a lot in summer camp, you know, people conduct raids on one another, but this was a bit more serious in the sense that it was well and truly the middle of the night The eagles were asleep. The rattlers descended on their cabin. They climbed through the windows. They were yelling and screaming. They were uh, dressed with camouflage, dressed in camouflage and they terrorized the eagles group. They messed up their cabin in a serious way and really left the eagles group terrified and crying. Interestingly, one of the reasons that the eagles were so terrified was there was this incredibly bright light that went off just as the screaming began and that was because one of the men was with the rattler's crew and he was taking photos of the raid. So again, that was an indication to me of how the men somehow believed that they were invisible or I don't know what they thought, but here they were accompanying the boys on a raid and that was the other striking thing to me about Robber's Cave was that their involvement in the conflict between the two groups actually gave the boys very strong messages about what they wanted the children to do. So on a normal summer camp where you would expect a camp counsellor to say, no, listen, a night raid is not on, or a camp counsellor might say, all right, look, you can do a night raid, but we're going to give the other group a warning or whatever, this guy accompanied them, took photos and basically stood by and watched as they vandalised one group and terrorised them. So, the conflict really came to a head the next day and one group confronted the other and the boys, it just erupted into a huge fist fight, and the men had to pull them apart. So, In Sharif's terms at Robber's Cave, his theory had been proven and he described that experiment very much as if he'd watched natural behaviour unfolding. But, you know, when I looked at the archival material and when I interviewed some of the boys and when I talked to O.J. Harvey, I got a very different picture of that experiment. And O.J. Harvey himself said that, Musafa Sharif had a very distinct script in mind and that it was his job to make sure that they delivered on that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in the report, the final report, you get this idea that the boys just naturally, like spontaneously started conflicting with each other and broke out in violence. But as you know, if you look at the research notes, you can say, well, no, they're kind of nudged in that direction. By the researchers themselves. And I think even, even in the third experiment, there were sort of while they try, while the researchers tried to prevent the boys from sort of cooperating and extending, you know, good sportsmanship, they tried to at the beginning, there'd be like, you mentioned the birthday party. And, but they'd always squatch that and be like, well, that's not going to happen. We want, we want, there's a result we got to get and you got to give it to us.
1: Well, that's right, and, you know, what was interesting was the boys would suggest things. So in the notes I found, for example, that the Eagles, after the night raid, they went to their counsellor or, that you know, their counsellor obviously came to their cabin because he could probably guess that they were going to be wanting to talk to him about it because they were all so upset. They said to him, the other team should be penalised and disqualified from the competition. For their behaviour, so they were they were actively suggesting ways to make sure that there were consequences for bad behaviour, and for those boys, they were ignored. The men obviously did not take that on board.
0: So, okay, we had this. The the con- this is the second phase of the experiment. There's this conflict, and then the third phase, the third part of his of Sharif's theory was that if you give these conflicting groups a common cause, you can actually bring them together again and. and- unify them. How did he do that? And this is interesting, he never got this far with the other experiments, so he didn't he was in uncharted territory.
1: Totally uncharted. And you know, when I spoke to O.J. Harvey about this, he said, "Look, we were just making it up as we were going along." By that, he meant they were working it out just not day by day, really, as you say. So what they did was they announced one morning after breakfast that the water supply seemed to not be working. And there was a problem and they needed volunteers to help them work out what was happening. And I think all of the boys actually volunteered. But anyway, there was a water tank up on the hill above the mess hall that had a line that ran down to the hall itself. And the boys had to climb this rocky hill behind the mess hall. Again, a reminder, it's very hot (laughs) in Robber's Cave. They've got very little water in their canteens because the water supply supposedly has failed. So they're hot and they're thirsty and they're having to move rocks off the line to actually test it to see if there's a leak or what it is that is the problem. So they're slowly making their way up this hill and they're working in two separate groups but eventually they get to the top of the hill and they find that there's been a rock fall and that the line has been buried and presumably damaged by this fall of rocks. Of course the rocks were put there by the men the night before. So the boys again in their separate teams are removing the rocks one by one and they realise eventually that, If they work as a single group, they'll get the job done more quickly. They'll get out of the heat and they'll be able to get fresh, cool water. So, gradually, they start working together as a single group. And this was the beginning of the blurring of the boundaries between the two groups. The beginning of the breaking down of the identification of one group you know, the the rattlers feeling so strongly that they were rattlers and the eagles feeling so strongly that they were eagles and they became, eventually, this was over a number of days, this was the first of a number of activities that the men instigated. For example, the next day they pretended that the truck had broken down and they need the boys to push. Again, all activities that were meant to involve what Sharif called a superordinate goal, that is a, a problem that two groups have that is too big for them to solve as individual groups, so they have to come together for a solution. So the robber's cave had, if you like, a happy ending. The two groups dissolved. They reformed as one big happy group. And Sharif's theory again was demonstrated. I read that slightly differently though because I think the boys were actually very relieved to be allowed to be cooperative children again, working together and having fun instead of having to take part in this competition where they must have been aware of this undercurrent of anxiety and tension, uh, particularly amongst the men.
0: So the the experiment in Sharif's mind was a success. They wrote the book, the report. How was it received uh, in, immediately when it was published?
1: So once the robber's cave experiment was over, Sharif wrote the book very quickly. It was a report of the experiment and he sent it out to psychologists around the country. It was very well received in the sense that I think a lot of people felt like it was an absolutely groundbreaking experiment. When you think that it was a field experiment conducted over a period of three weeks, and the fact that it seemed to work out Sharif's theory so powerfully, it, it, it did have a big impact.
0: So, you, part of your research of the book, you wanted to find out what happened to the boys in this experiment. How did you find the boys? That took part in the experiment. By now, they're in their, I guess, their late sixties, maybe seventies. And what did did they even know they were part of experiment? And what did they feel like when they found out that it was that summer camp was an experiment?
1: Well, I found them one by one. There were some, for example, OJ Harvey remembered the names of a couple, and then once I met another one who remembered the names of another couple, I was able to track down some that way. But obviously, I didn't have, I I, I wasn't able to contact all of them. But the ones I did contact, I was surprised when I did contact them because I thought I'd be interviewing them about their memories of the experiment, that they would tell me what had happened. But when I first contacted them, it became very clear that they'd never been told it was an experiment. So, in fact, they had more questions for me than than I had questions for them in a way. They wanted to know all about it. They wanted to know how their parents had agreed. They wanted to know who was behind it. They, they, they really wanted to know what they were being tested for and, and they kind of wanted to know whether or not they'd passed that test. So that really shaped my research because I felt that I was – actually uncovering a story for them as well as for myself and my readers because I was putting together a narrative that was richer and deeper than the one that Sharif produced. If you read Sharif's book about the robber's cave experiment, it's definitely written for people in psychology and it's as an account of the experiment it's a scientific report. It's not. It doesn't answer the sorts of questions that those now adult boys have.
0: When you asked them, like what they remembered about the camp experience, was were their memories positive? Were they? Did they? Was it negative? Was it like both? Like what do they think about the camp?
1: I, I think it's fair to say I, I I did interview boys who did the 1953 experiment as well as those who were involved at Robbers Cave. And I think most of them would say that it, there were times when it was an unpleasant experience. You know, for, for most of them, as I said earlier, it was their first experience of summer camp. So they didn't really have that much to compare it to, although the ones who had older brothers or sisters who'd been on camp did, you know, they'd heard about camp and what was expected. So, but most of them had ambivalent feelings, I'd say. Some of them I spoke to had very happy memories of Robbers Cave, but they were happy happy memories about parts of the camp. So, one person I interviewed talked quite vividly about the the joint activities that they did at the end. Of course, that's not the way he thought about it necessarily, but. After the the problem with the water tank, uh, the boys went on a trip to Hevener and it was in the stage when they were all one big group. Now, for one, uh, one person described that truck journey, sitting in the back of the truck with the dust flying up in their faces, all of them sitting together as quite a happy memory. Then, on the other hand, there was also vivid memories in the Rattlers group of a boy who was a real bully and a couple of the men still remembered him very well. So I was very struck by the amount that most of them remembered, particularly the robber's cave people that I spoke to. Their memories were very vivid, and that really added to the story from my point of view. But as I say, there was uh, a sense of disquiet too. I mean, you can imagine if you get a letter from someone, you know, out of the blue and not only out of the blue, from the other side of the world. And that person's telling you that you were in an experiment when you were a child and that they want to interview you about it. I mean, you would feel a lot of mixed emotions, I imagine. You'd you'd feel excited, curious, but also perhaps a bit nervous about what had been involved. And so that was part of my job, really. I felt in the end that, It became a story that I wrote for the participants in the experiment because, and this was something that came up for me with my Milgram book as well, where I interviewed subjects, people who took part in Milgram's experiment, is that so often in psychological research, people are referred to as subjects as if they're faceless, nameless individuals, but these are people who volunteered their time or or in the case of the boys didn't volunteer their time, but were participants in, in an experiment that gains fame or notoriety. They have no control over what's written about them or how they're depicted. And in both Milgram's case and in Sharif's, the subjects were depicted in very unfair ways, I felt, very misleading.
0: Alright, So to sum things up, Sharif believed that when groups are competing over resources, they strengthen their separate group identity and become antagonistic against other groups. But they can be reconciled if they work together to address a bigger common problem. And while that might be true, the Roberts cave study didn't do a good job of proving it because it seems like the way you described it is that Sharif just orchestrated the study to confirm his theory. And what really happened in the experiments is that the boys naturally wanted to cooperate all along, and it was the researchers who, who goaded them into having more conflict. So, can we ultimately learn anything from the Robbers Cave experiment? I mean, did it give us any insight about why groups fight with each other? And if not, have we gained more insight about how that happened since the study?
1: Well, it's interesting. I struggled with this a bit myself. What can you conclude from it? And as you say, you can conclude that adults can manipulate children to do things that they wouldn't normally do. But on another level, I think the, I think what's important, really important about the robber's cave experiment, and especially when you compare it with social psychological research subsequently, is that Sharif was really attempting to grapple with big problems. There was something about that big vision that I think is really worth holding on to. We do want to understand and we should try and understand how it is that people develop animosity and hostility towards other groups in their community, whether it's on the, the basis of Skin color or religion or gender and, and looking at ways to break that down is really important. So I I don't want to throw that away. I think that's really important. I think that I'm not so sure that that research has advanced necessarily though, because we still have the same issues today. And, but I still think it's worth really, really worthwhile investigating. And in a way, despite my reservations about the participants in the research, I think that Sharif's commitment to investigating that issue is really worth celebrating.
0: Well, Gina, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work?
1: Uh, I've got a website. It's www.ginaperry.com. And there is a hyphen between the Gina and the Perry or a dash.
0: Well, fantastic. Gina Perry, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My guest today was Gina Perry. She's the author of the book, The Lost Boys, Inside Muzaffer Sharif's Robber's Cave Experiment. It's available at Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about Gina's work at her website, gina-perry.com. That's Gina with a G. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash robber's cave. You can find links to resources where can delve deeper into this topic. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Check out our website at artofmanlist.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years. And if you'd like to enjoy ad free episodes of the AOM podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLESS to get a month free trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS, and you can start listening to new episodes of the AOM podcast ad free. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay, reminding you not only listen to the AWEN podcast, but put what you've heard into action.